to welcome all of you today to Sunday morning, and I want to welcome those in the room and those watching online. Come on, we do this a couple of times during the service, but let's welcome each other to church today. Come on, church. All of you guys, one church worshiping all around. And go ahead and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes if you'd like to. Of course, you can pull up the Victory Church app. I uh, got a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes there for you. If you're a fill-in-the-blank type of person, which I am, and so we provide that for you. Got all the verses and notes that we're going to cover today. It's good to be back, everybody. Uh, I was not, you might not have even realized, I was not here last week. Uh, my family and I had an opportunity to take a vacation. Come on, somebody. It was a good, a good week for us. And so we took a road trip, which does not sound like a vacation to some of you. And so we piled the family into our van and we took a 25-hour road trip all together. It was fantastic, everybody. So I'm going to take a vacation this week as well. To, to It was great. But we went up through Alabama and Tennessee and just had a good time as a family just together, spending uh, time together. And so if you weren't able to reach me this week, I don't apologize. All right. I don't. But, uh, but it's just a great time. And we had one night, we went to a, a kind of a rodeo horse show trick type thing that we went through up there. And I just want you to know, I was chosen to toss the horseshoes, everybody. And so I just, and I need you to know something about your pastor. And that is, I am a winner. All right. I, I don't go into stuff half, but I, I am going in it to win it. All right, everybody. I don't care if it's a little old lady across from me, I'm going to win the horseshoe competition. All right, everybody. And so when it turned out to not be horseshoes, but toilet seats that we were tossing, <laughs> I am still in it to win it. All right, everybody, I still. So throw that picture up there. Where is that picture of us with the, come on, somebody, I, I took it out, everybody. So that is, so all you Gladiator fans, are you not entertained? Are you not? <laughs> so I just want you to know that about me. All right, we're in the middle of a series, everybody, called You Asked For It. And it comes right out of a question that we asked all of you on Easter Sunday. We took the occasion that is Easter to ask you a question. And that was, if we could preach a message on any topic or any issue that maybe is close to your heart or something you may be struggling with or something you'd like to hear what the Bible says about, what would it be? And so we took all of your questions on Easter Sunday. We kind of tallied them together and we came up with the top four. You gave us over 40 different responses, types of questions. And so we took the top four and we created this series out of it called You Asked For It. And so week one, we addressed your most pressing question, the one that by and large the most of you asked. And that was, is this the end? Is this the end of the world? Are we living in the last days? Is this the end of all things? And so that was week one. We answered that question for you. And then week two last week was how do I hear from God? How do I hear God's voice? And Kirby did an incredible job bringing that word last week in the midst of technical difficulties. Come on, somebody. Kirby did just an incredible job about how do I hear the voice of God? How do I, I listen to the voice of God? How do I obey the voice of God when it's not something I want to hear? And so just an incredible, incredible message so now here in week three, it's a little bit different, all right? A little different than weeks one and week two. And that is, I want to do kind of a compilation of a lot of your questions into one Sunday. Because about 25% of the questions that you guys ask centered around, help me with my family. Help me with my family. Help me raise my kids. Somebody come take my kids, right? Somebody help me with my spouse. How do I kill my spouse? Come on, how do I... How do I not kill my spouse? How do I, you guys ask all kinds of different questions on the thing, right? How do, I, how do I do it and get away with it? You guys ask some really good questions on Easter. Well, what I want to talk to you today is I want to deal with a few of the questions here at the outset. I want to answer some of those. But here's the challenge with this type of topic, and that is it only applies to a few of you. 
Each question that you asked only applies to a certain subset of the auditorium. So here's what I want to do. is That is, I want to bring a message uh, that is going to answer some of your parenting questions and some of your marriage questions and some of those out of the Bible. I want to bring a message that answers those, gets your questions answered. But I want to also bring a message that applies to every single person. Every single relationship that you have, because we all have them. Every single thing that you might. So I'm going to kind of gear some of these topics towards parenting and towards marriage. But I want you to know every single point that I bring today, every principle can apply in your life. Every principle can apply to every relationship that you have. And I really believe it's going to change your life by what the Bible says. I remind you, this is not what is the pastor's opinion on things. This is not what do you guys just think about here at the church. This is what does the Bible have to say about this issue that I may be struggling with. So just to let you know kind of where I'm coming from, my wife Alyssa and I, we're raising three small children at home. Elijah's eight years old, Aliam is six years old, and Hava is three going on 30. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm... You know what I'm talking about if you have a daughter. But even over the short years that I have read about this, even over the even shorter years that I have actually parented, it has changed. It's evolved. You know what I'm talking about? Because even in these years that I've been a parent, what I believed when I started parenting is not so much what I believe now. Because how many know that when you experience it, you change? I mean, you know, you have a lot of lofty ideas. You have a lot of, lot of really great principles that should work and are really great. But once you experience it, you change a little bit. And you guys know what I'm talking about. You who have kids, you know your principles and your, your, the way that you parent has changed over the years. For instance, our first child. How many firstborn children do we have in the room today? Anybody? You have siblings and you are the first. Come on, look at you guys. Firstborn children, right? We have, how many have a, your parents have a zillion pictures of you when you were little. Come on, they got them all about. Our firstborn, Elijah, we have a billion pictures of him. Every moment is doc. You can do a flip book and see his entire life with the pictures that we have taken. Of Elijah, right? When his baby book is a thing of beauty. It is amazing. We got his first, his first blink, his first walk, his first lock of hair that was ever cut. Like, it's just a beautiful, a beautiful thing. How many know you're a firstborn? Your parents, right? They, they did it all out. And I'll even let you know, in this day and age, we even printed pictures out of him. Come on, somebody. Hundreds of pictures we have printed, which should let you know how serious we are in today's age. They took them off of the phone. And then our secondborn, Liam. How many secondborn children do I have? Come on, somebody. Right. You, were, you were born as a plaything for the first child, right? They just, I mean, no, that's why your parents had you. You were just help us with this first child. You just go, go play with them. Come on. So buddy, we have about a thousand pictures of Eliam. Uh, and so we, his baby book has his name on the front. Come on. We tried everybody. We really did try, but there are some gaps. There are some, like, it's like bringing him home from the hospital and then he's riding a bike. Like there is, there's some, there's some gaps in the pictures, everybody, but we tried our very best and we did all we could. How many third-born children do I have in that? Come on. Not so many pictures of you, are there? Come on. Not, not so many things around the house. Hava, Hava, we try. We have about 62 pictures of Hava. Uh, that we <laughs> like, and we can't find her baby book, everybody. We don't know. We don't know where it is. We have a Ziploc bag that says, if you find the baby book, put these in it. All right. Just go ahead. Stick these mementos. Come on. We just we just we tried our best, but we lost. We lost it somewhere on the journey. How many know your, your family 
principle, things you do when you're parenting, they change, they evolve along the journey somewhere. And so I found something that I thought was pretty funny. And so I want to share it with all of you here at the outset. As we talk about family and essentials and parenting and marriage and relationships, as we talk about all of this, I found something that I thought was pretty funny. Now, you might not think it's funny. It actually, this first one might offend some of you in the room today. But I asked my wife, Alyssa, can I read this in church? And she said, absolutely not. And so, you know, it's good, everybody. All right. You know, you know, it's we'll just see where we go with this today. All right. So this is how your life changes with each child, everybody. This is how your life matures and changes. So like, for instance, maternity clothes. Come on, somebody. Come on. Maternity clothes. With your first baby, you begin wearing maternity clothes as soon as they confirm that you're pregnant. Like you just run out and buy them all. You are so excited and you are so pumped. Come on, somebody. But how does this change? Second child, right? Your second child, you wear your regular clothes for as long as humanly possible. You just like, I'm not giving up. This is what I'm going to wear. Come on, somebody. Your third child, your, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. <laughs> I'm just going home already. <laughs> Anybody want to take me out to lunch today? Because I'm not, I'm not feeling like going home after service today. I just don't... <laughs> On staying home, on staying home, how does your life change? On your first baby, you spend a good bit of every day just gazing at the baby. Just that, that wonder of creation. That it, You are just enamored by this baby. You just stare at it when it's sleeping, when it's awake. You are amazed. On your second child, you spend a bit of every day watching to be sure your older child isn't squeezing, poking, or sitting on the baby. <laughs> just, you just check in on him, see the thing. On your third child, you spend a good bit of every day hiding from your children. Like you... <laughs> That is the truth of the gospel right there, everybody. That is just right. Like they are, when you finally do go out, when you finally leave your home here on your first job, you, you call home every five minutes. Like, are they okay? Are they crying? Do they need me? Are they crying for their mama? Like, you just, you cry home every five minutes to check them. On your second child, on your way out the door, you remember to leave a number where you might be reached. Like, you just, oh yeah, where we might be. On your third child, you leave instructions for the sitter to call only if she sees blood, everybody. Only, right, like, do not, there better be limbs on the floor if you are calling me for this, you know, if you're going to disrupt my thing. Instructions, all right, and on swallowing coins. Come on, somebody, on swallowing how your parenting changes. On your first child, you rush the child to the hospital and demand x-rays. Like, where is your top surgeon? My child has a bobo. Come on, somebody. You've, you've been there. Like, you're halfway to the hospital and realize they're fine. And then you turn around and come, come right back. That's the first child. On the second child, you wait patiently for the coin to pass. Like, you just know. You know what's coming, everybody. You just understand this parenting thing. On the third child, you deduct it from their allowance. Come on, somebody. <laughs> like, I know this game. Like, go ahead. That's funny. I don't care what you say. All right, everybody. <laughs> Bible says a merry heart does good like a medicine. And some of us needed some medicine this morning. All right, everybody. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. There's a lot of material out there. There are a lot of books. There are a lot of, of courses. There are a lot of things that, that teach you about parenting and about marriage and about all these different things. And you should study. You should do your own study, your own work. We have small groups geared around families and marriage and all these different things. You should have that. But here's what I know. There is a lot of material out there. But today what I want to do, we have one service together, about 30 minutes that we have together. And I want to just break this thing down to its bare essentials. 
to the bare minimums of what it takes to have a godly family, to have a godly marriage, to have godly relationships, uh, not only with your coworkers, but in your family, with outer family, come on somebody, with extended family, to have these types of relationships. I just want to break it down today into the bare minimum. Every principle we talk about today is just an essential. It has to be there. And I'm encouraging you to do the studies. I'm encouraging you to to get the books and to do your own research and to really begin to pray and work out what that looks like for your family and your marriage. But I just want to give you what I believe are the bare essentials to having this. Because the Bible has a lot to say about relationships. It has a lot to say about the family and about marriage. And so I just want to give those to you today. We're going to start off in verse in Proverbs chapter 24. If you're taking notes, jot it down. Proverbs 24. The Bible says it takes... Watch this. It takes, everybody say this word out loud. It takes wisdom to have a good family. Come on, wisdom. Now that word wisdom, that's not just like earthly understanding. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. This takes something supernatural. This doesn't just take book learning. This just doesn't take what we might know in our own story. This takes wisdom to have a good family, to have a strong house. It takes something straight from heaven. And everybody who's had one knows that. And it takes understanding to make it strong. It takes understanding to make it strong. So that word understanding is kind of an interesting word. It means putting this thing into practice. It means this radical understanding, this radical movement of putting this wisdom that God gives us into practice in the situations we find ourselves in. Because everybody's situation is different. If you've ever done any type of counseling, you can have all the rules and all the things just ready to go. But when that person walks in with a real problem... It takes wisdom, it takes understanding for this thing to go. It takes the knowledge of God's word. Is what it takes to have a good family to make it strong. And so the first thing is the most important. I just want to start out here. It's the most important. Before you get to any of the other essentials, any of the other things, jot it down if you're taking notes. I just want to call it authentic faith. Authentic faith. As if to say there is an inauthentic faith, and there is. Because there's a whole bunch of people that I'm very afraid for, to be honest. A whole lot of people that haven't come to the realization there's more to God than just Sunday mornings. There's more to our faith in Christ than just a church service on Sundays. There's more to it. A whole bunch of people, and I don't think it's a lot of you, but there are a lot of people who believe that everything that we do as a church can just be contained in one hour on a Sunday morning. Listen to me, everybody. That's not what it's about. You can have a relationship with God that goes way beyond this meeting and this time that we have together. I think it's so important for the church to come together. I think it's important to equip and to train the saints. I think it's important to be energized and just to feel the presence of God. But I want you to know you can have a relationship with him that goes all seven days of the week. And that's the, that's the foundational part. You want to have a godly family. You want to have a godly marriage. Have an authentic faith. Before anything else that I can give you, before anything else, and I would just tell you, if you're just kind of kicking the tires, just kind of trying out this God thing, just kind of like, you know, dating God, just kind of toying with it. If that's you, I would want you to know what you're missing out on, that you're missing out on a relationship that you can have. It goes way beyond religion. It's an actual relationship with Jesus Christ. That you have that power and that ability that comes only from the Holy Spirit, only from having his power in your life. And that it affects every other area of your life. Honestly, when people come to me and they have questions about different, different topics, and I don't care what the topic is, I don't care what the issue is, but they come and ask for a pastor to speak with them, I can listen to what they're saying, and honestly, I'm only halfway listening because I know exactly what the first question is going to be. What is your relationship with Jesus like? Tell me about that first. Before we get into any of the other things, what's your relationship with him like? Because if there's one message that comes out of victory, if there's one thing that I would want you to hear, it's that you can have an authentic and real dynamic relationship with Jesus. 
That's the only thing that I would want you to, if you could hear one thing today, is you can't have that in your life. That I would lead you to an authentic relationship with Him. With Him. And the Bible talks about that in John chapter 10, where it says, And then the sheep will know my voice. You need to be in a place where you know who God is. He knows who you are and you can hear his voice. Kirby talked about that last week. That the sheep hear his voice and they know his voice. And so we have to have authentic faith. And this works in every area. It works in every area of your life. So before you take that phone call, right? Before you you take it in a raid, before you discipline, before you have that conversation with your spouse, before these things happen, before all of that, you have this bedrock of your faith. That you have this Holy Spirit speaking to you, directing you, allowing you. And so I would want that for you. If you've been here and you've listened to sermons and series and you enjoy Sundays, I would want you to know there is so much more to Christianity. That your relationship with Jesus, best family, parenting, best any marriage advice I can give you is get as close as you can to him. Get as close as you can to God. Somebody say amen right there. Come on, somebody. I just gave you enough to go on to Popeye's right now. That's just the... That's enough. Let me show you a verse, Proverbs 14. This is out of our Bible reading next week. It says, reverence for God. Watch what it does. Gives a man deep strength. To you, mom, you, dad, when you have reverence for the Lord, not only does it give you deep strength, but watch what it does for their kids. His children have a place of refuge and security. So here's advice number one. If I can give you, attached to this point, authentic faith. Here's advice number one, and I want to give it straight out of Scripture. If we're going to get authentic faith, here is what you need to do this morning. As practical as I can make it, it's out of the book of Joshua. Watch what it says. It says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Choose. This actually used to be on a little brass plaque on my front door growing up. uh, Just written there. But choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so I would just encourage you, moms and dads, parents, spouses, anybody who's in a family, anybody in a relationship, choose who you're going to serve. Choose. As practical as I can make it this Sunday morning, choose who you're going to serve, all right? Just giving you the essentials. Now, let's get a little more practical even, and this is number two. You have to have this It's a non-negotiable essential of relationships, of marriages, of family schedules. Is That is to have intentional schedules. Intentional schedules. Like, I realize that time, I don't have that much of it, and so I'm going to use it wisely. I'm going to spend it wisely. And as you have more kids, this becomes even more important that you say, what are my intentions? And let me just let you know, this is a non-negotiable. Let me say it this way. The best families that I know, the ones that I have had the opportunity to go to and ask them, how did you do it? How, how did you accomplish this? I love like where your kids are adults and serving the Lord and they have kids of their own that are serving the Lord. How did you accomplish this? Every single one of them said we were very intentional about what we said yes to and very intentional about what we said no to. We were intentional about how we spent our time. Very intentional about having family time. About carving out that time that we would have as a family. One of the families called it couch time. Where they would just turn off every electronic in the home. Everybody get on the couch or climb up on the bed. And then they'd have hours just tickling and playing. And playing Legos and just talking. And having these these moments together. This family time. You say that's a non-negotiable. Absolutely. That's an essential. And, And let me just say it this way. This is something close to my heart. Uninterrupted time. You need to have moments with your kids that nobody else on this planet can reach you. That nobody else can. If you need to lock the phone in the ice chest, if you need to, I don't care what you need to do. You have the smartwatch on. Well, let me just see who called. I just have no, no, uninterrupted time. That wherever you are, you're there. That you have that moment. You have those moments with your family. That is so important to have intentional schedules. And you say, well, are you serious? Is it not? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll tell you why relationships are the way that they are. 
tell you why that families kind of are the way that they are. Let Cornell University tell you. The average father spends seven minutes a day with his children. That's less than an hour a week. And then the average father spends less than a minute a day with his preschoolers. You don't know why relationships sometimes are the way that they are. We got to have intentional schedules. See, the problem is today, instead, we just kind of shove the iPad into their lap and then we just kind of go about our business. Now, get, don't get me wrong. I am not against iPads. All right, everybody. I spent 25 hours in a car. An iPad is a gift from the throne of heaven. Like where your kids, when you are in a minivan heading north, like it's just it just is what it is. You understand what I'm saying. But what is, is a problem is when we allow it to raise our children. There's a difference there. When we allow it to raise, when you allow video games, you allow the media to raise your children. I'm not anti-technology. If, you, if you're okay with it, let them have it. But I'm saying you got to have some conversations. You need to be the one raising your kids. You need to be the one setting the boundaries. Just giving you some practical wisdom today, everybody. If you're okay with it, let them have it. But there needs to also be intentional family time. you got to have that schedule built in that you say, no matter what else happens, we're going to have this because we've placed a priority on it. That that's what it is. And you can actually have that time without the media, everybody. I'm just going to give you some wisdom today. You can have family time without something else blaring in the background. You can have those moments. It's called conversation, everybody. You can have those conversations. You can talk together. And here's just a bit of free advice. If it needs to be turned off, whatever it is, that device, that thing, then just free advice, turn it off. If it needs to have rules set for it, set the rules. Because honestly, this type of parenting where we just kind of let it raise is lazy parenting. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because isn't it true? It's easier to do that. I'm guilty of this myself. I'm not preaching and saying, well, I never, I'm as guilty as this as any one of you. But it's lazy parenting to let that happen. Because we just let it. So I'm just going to leave that one right there. All right. Honestly, and I'll just step on every toe today. And then honestly, you might not want to do all eight sports at the same time. I just, I just get everybody mad at me today, all right? I promise you'll love me by the end of this sermon. But today, we're just, you might not want to do every, you might not want to fill every waking moment and every schedule with something that you don't have any family time at all. You just say, we just got to go, go, go. Because nobody ever looks back on it and says, you know what? If we had played one more sport, they would have been okay. Nobody ever looks back and says, if, we had just, if I had just put them in one more thing, then they would have developed so much better. If I had just done, no, everybody looks back and says, I wish we had spent more time. Wish we had had more time together. Everybody looks back and says, I wish we had done that. Because the Bible says, if you live that way, where everything is busy, everything is running, everything is grasping after the wind, watch what it says. It says that you're just like ships. We're merely moving shadows. You're like ships passing in the night. All of our busy rushing ends in nothing. So it didn't really serve anything anyways. All the busyness that we had, all the filling every moment of every waking day. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying do it with intentionality, intentional schedules. That you could have a different perspective on what's actually important. We're like saying, nobody looks back saying, I'm going to give you biblical ethics for families today. All right? Biblical ethics for relationships. Watch this in Ecclesiastes. He says it this way. It's better to have only a little. So this applies to every area of life. You can apply this to your finances. You can apply this to your intentionality with your time. You can apply this to your relationships with your spouse. You can apply this to all. It's better to have only a little with peace of mind than to be busy all of the time. It's better. If I could give you a biblical ethics for this point number two, it's that it is better to have less with peace of mind. One part, it says it's better to have one hand with peace of mind than two and grasping at the wind. It's better to have one with peace of mind. 
Here's essential number three. And this is probably the one that will surprise you the most on the list. But it's probably the most tied to points one and point two today. All right, everybody? And that is discovering purpose. Jot it down if you're taking notes. Discovering purpose. And you say discovering purpose. Well, honestly, why is it tied to point one? Because you can't discover purpose without authentic faith. Because God is the one who created you, gave you purpose. You need that point number one to even have your purpose here on this earth. And then point number two, intentionality. When you find your purpose, it will let you know what you need to do. Let you know how to plan your schedule. You know what to say no to when you know why you're here. When you know why you're on the planet, you know what you need to say no to because you know what you're supposed to be doing. So authentic faith, intentional schedules, it's wrapped up in discovering your purpose. Discovering who you are. It's why, parents, let me give you great advice. You need to focus on your kids on bringing out that thing that distinguishes them from everybody else. On calling out that greatness that's inside of every single one of your children. On speaking into the greatness that God has placed into that life that is your child. You as a parent need to be the one that begins to draw it out of them. Begin to show them. Begin to help them along the way. And every single one is different. Every child is different in the unique giftings that God has given to them. And here's some free advice that I got when I was younger. And I'll just pass it on to you free. You don't have to be good at everything. Somebody just take a deep breath today, all right, everybody? You don't have to be good at everything. You need to be good at one thing. There's one thing God has placed inside of you. I'm not good at everything, but God has given me gifts that I'm going to pursue with everything inside of me that I can be good at because that's my purpose here on this earth. And so, parents, let me just let you know, your kids are the same way. I tell my kids all the time, I pray over them. Oh, they don't have to be good at everything. And that's not an excuse not to try hard, all right? I still want them to try hard. It's not to give up. But I'm saying there are some things that God has placed in their life, some giftings and callings, some blessings God has given them. And so as a parent, it is my job to speak over them, to begin to pray over them, to begin to draw that thing out of them. That's our jobs as parents, that we begin to speak prophetically into our children's lives, that God has gifted them. That God has purpose for them. And all of my kids are different. You can see different things begin to arise from artistic to sports to numbers. Just all these different things. Come on, somebody. To sarcasm. They just have the gift of sarcasm. It's just, it's amazing what giftings God has placed into my kids' lives. Accountability for their parents. God has just given them that. It's just amazing. Truthfulness. It's just, it's incredible. But I begin to see those things develop in there. Elijah, my oldest, he is incredibly artistic. He can draw better than I ever could dream of drawing right now in my adult life. Like, I don't have an artistic bone in my body, but I'll buy him all the paper in the world. Y'all know what I'm talking about, you know? Like, I'm just, I'm going to begin to do. In fact, we were drawing a car together. He decided he wanted me to help him draw a race car. And so I'm out there drawing, trying to do the hood, and he's doing the tires, and I'm trying to do the lights and the spoiler, all this. I'm just trying my very best, all right, everybody? And so I can tell he's distracted from drawing his part by watching me draw my part. And he's just kind of like staring as and nobody likes the audience when you draw, right? When you are bad at something, you don't want people watching you. But I can tell he wanted to say something. So I'm like, Elijah, what do you think, buddy? And he kind of paused and he just, he thinks before he speaks. It's a great trait he has. And he said, dad, what if I draw a car and you draw a car? And then when we're done, we can show each other the cars that we drew. And I thought, he's an artist and a politician. Come on, somebody. He's got, <laughs> got, he's got giftings. But listen to me. Not that I want to pigeonhole them into something. Not that I want to say, this is your gifting. I'm just gonna, this is all you can do. And this is what I'm going to. But when they find what God has gifted them in, when they reach that purpose, I am here to help them achieve it in any way that I can. In any way. That's our job as parents. I recognize that in my kids. And parents, I'm telling you, there is an anointing on your life to speak into your kids. 
There's an anointing on your life that God has given you as a parent. You say, I'm not this great parent. I'm not this great, this great mom or this great dad. I just feel like everybody else is doing it. But listen to me. You have an anointing on your life to speak into your kids. That nobody else can speak into to draw out what God has placed into their lives. To help them in their purpose. And I want you to know this is for every Christian that has a purpose. Paul talked about this in the book of Acts. This is for everybody. He says, I consider my life, watch this, worth nothing to me. Why is that, Paul? My only aim is to finish the race and watch this, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, testifying to the good news. He said, my only aim is testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ. He said, I've only got one purpose. My only, my only thing on this earth is to do. I've got this one task the Lord has given me. That I don't have to be good at everything. I've got to be good at one thing. That God has put purpose inside of your life. And by the way, I told you this morning is for everybody. It's why this church, it's why victory is centered around this idea. This idea of finding and discovering purpose. It's why everything that we do from discovery to the growth track to all of these things that we do to small groups... Everything that we do as a church is centered around the dream team to finding your purpose. Finding out what God has called you to do. How he's called you to reach the kingdom. How he's called you to shout it from the mountain. What your purpose is. Everybody does it a little differently. Everybody is gifted a little differently. But all of us are reaching towards the purpose God has placed inside of us. All of us are called to build the kingdom. To spread the good news of the gospel. Something God has called you to do. And let me just say this. When you do it. When you engage in it, when you find out what your purpose is and you start to do it for the kingdom, you start to do it for the glory of God, it is a game changer. Suddenly you begin to think, how else can I use this gift? How else has God chosen me? What other circle can I reach? How many people can I go after? What, it changes the way you look at life. You've got to begin to discover purpose and it changes everything. And a subnote to this point, to this anointing that we have to speak in, and this is why it's so important, especially moms and dads, it's so important to watch the words that you say. If we're going to begin to speak purpose and life and we have this anointing to draw out greatness from our kids, we're going to prophesy over them. We have this anointing to do that as parents. Then it is so important, moms and dads especially, to watch the words that come out of your mouth. Because watch this out of the Bible. It says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out, but only what is helpful. Watch this for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those that listen. According to their needs. When's the last time as a parent you stopped to think, what I'm saying, is this because of something I want to happen? Because of something that would help me in what I am doing? Or is it according to the purpose that they have in their life? Am I building them up to achieve what God has for them? Am I actually speaking life into their lives? Is that, watch the words that you say. If I have any regrets as a parent and as a husband, come on somebody, I don't walk around with a bunch of regrets. But if I have any, it would be the words that I have said. It would be, I would want to go back and take back some of the words that have come out of my mouth. But my tongue got a little too fast for me, and I didn't really mean what I said. Even this week, come on, so 25 hours in the car, hour 17, I want to just take back, just strike it from the record, all right, everybody? I just, we just skip from 16 to 18. I just want to go back and take, if there's anything I would take back, it's the words, we've got to keep a guard over our mouth. The words that we are speaking, use them to bless When you're speaking to your kids, use them to bless your children. It's what Jesus did. Mark chapter 10, the Bible says he took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Parents, this needs to be your role, that you take them in your arms, you lay your hands on them and you bless them. And this is not just bless you, bless you, bless you, just go on with you. That's not what Jesus is doing in this verse. In this culture, when it says to speak a blessing over them, this is a prophetic utterance. This is something speaking over them, a a, prophesying on the greatness that would come out of their lives. This is speaking a blessing over the children. 
This is an incredible event that they recorded in the Gospels that Jesus does for these kids' parents. We need to be that in our children's lives. We lay our hands on them every night, every morning. We begin to bless them, to prophesy that God has great things for their life. They're going to grow up to be a strong man of God, a strong woman of God. They're going to be incredible people in the kingdom of God. That they're going to be soldiers on the front line. We need to bless our children. We need to bless over them that they are going to build the kingdom. That we can pray and bless over them. Just giving you what I believe to be the essentials. Here's the fourth one. You cannot, in fact, this one is, you can't skip this one. This one is incredibly, if you want to build a strong family, you want to have a godly, you want to lead your family in a godly way, you cannot skip, and that is right relationships. As if to say there are wrong ones, and there are. Right relationships. Let me tell you what I am absolutely 100% sure of, and that is every single one of us in this room, those watching online, every single one of us, are the sum total of our relationships. The decisions we have made in our relationships are who we are. Let me say it this way. You are who you are because of your relationships. You are who you are today because of your relationships. And I'll say it another way. You show me who your friends are, and I will show you what your future is going to look like. You show me who your kids are hanging out with, and I'll show you what their future is going to look like. It's critical. It's why we put such a huge emphasis around here. It's why the backbone of our church And we do Sunday mornings and we have prayer times and we have all these different things that we do. But then we build everything into this chance to have small groups, to have right relationships, to begin to sharpen iron against iron, to have this time where you're with other Christians and believers that can build you up and encourage you and pray with you and seek God for you and begin to actually hold you accountable. It's why we put such an emphasis on small groups. That's why you'll hear us talk about them almost every single Sunday that you got to get in a group, get in a group, get in a group. Not that you can learn whatever. It's great that we study things in the groups. That's fantastic. I'm excited. You can learn something. You can play basketball better. You can learn a book of the Bible. It's great that we have those things. But the reason we want you in those groups is you have to have the right relationships in your life. You have to get this one right. Come on, you have to have those relationships in your life. Because if you're in the right relationships, people encouraging and strengthening you, your Christian walk, your faith in God will go further than you could ever imagine possible. And let me tell it to you this way. Your kids are the same way. Because we focus so much on, well, my relationships are correct as an adult, and i got to get my, get my small group. And I, Your kids are the exact same way. The relationships they have, you show me who they're hanging out with, I'll show you what their future is going to look like. Our kids have the same way. Your relationships, the relationship decisions you make are your most important decisions, hands down. Watch this. The Bible says it in Proverbs. A mirror reflects a man's face. A mirror shows you what you look like in this physical world. But what he really is like is shown by the kinds of friends that he chooses. Who they really are is like. And Proverbs 13 says it this way. It's pretty strong. It says that walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools goes to jail. Everybody. All right. You understand this. Like. That's what it's saying, suffers, suffers harm. This is one of the greatest things that we can do as parents. It's one of the greatest things you can do as grandparents. Let our shining moment be that you kept the wolves away from your family. That you decide, not that you built a monastery and didn't let them outside till they were 30, all right, everybody? That's not what I'm saying. But let your moment be that you decided who's going to get close enough to my kids to speak into their life. Who am I going to allow to be close enough to my children to speak into their life? And are those people speaking life or death? Are the people that I'm allowing around my children, around your grandchildren, are those people speaking life or are they speaking death? Are they speaking purpose into those kids' lives or are they trying to undo all the godly things that you were trying to instill into them? Let that be your shining moment that you were the protector of your home and your families. As parents, as grandparents, you begin to protect 
Are they speaking life? And I told you this is for everybody as well. You need to watch this on your own life. Are the people you're allowing to speak into your life, not, not just the people you're around, but the ones you allow to speak into your life, the friends that you choose, are they speaking life or are they speaking death? Just giving you the absolute essentials. And here's the last one today, absolute must. If you're going to have a godly family, if you're going to have godly relationships, if you're going to have any type of relationship that is after God's word, and that is amazing grace. Amazing grace. I like amazing grace. All right, everybody. You say, well, why, why is it called? We sing that song, amazing grace. Why do they call it amazing grace? Because it makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. That this is amazing. That God didn't just give you grace. He gave you amazing grace. He gave you incredible grace. Why? Because he took all the stuff that I did, not only just the stuff I did, all the stuff I will do, and he still forgives me and he still loves me. Who treats you like that? Nobody but God. Who who treats you in that way? All the stuff you did, all the stuff you will do. He said, I still will forgive. That his blood covers over a multitude of sin. That he's removed it as far as the east is from the west. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. That Christ's blood has covered over a multitude of sin. Who loves us like that? Nobody but God. Have to have amazing grace. Amazing grace that we have been shown. And hear me clearly today, everybody. And your relationships also need that grace. Your relationships also, because we like the first part. I like amazing grace that's been shown to me. Come on, somebody. I, I, I'm a big fan of amazing grace that gets shown to myself. But we also need to show amazing grace. That our relationships require it as well. Let me say it this way. There's not a single relationship, not a person on earth that you won't need amazing grace to be in relationship with. Because we are all human and we are all flawed. Because relationships are tough and we are all imperfect and I recognize that. And I'm not preaching to you today and saying I've got it all perfect, but I'm letting you know we need to recognize that we are in relationship with imperfect people, that our spouse is an imperfect person, that our kids are imperfect people. Come on, somebody. They are going to screw up and they are going to screw up royally. All right. I'm just going to give you some truth from the Lord today. Your kids are going to screw up. They're going to screw up royally. And honestly, I've been lucky so far in that it hasn't had too much monetary damage. Come on, somebody, because it's I know, praise the Lord, it's coming. It's coming. But you want to know who needs you the most in that moment when they do screw up? You know, when they blow it, you know who needs you the most? They do. And you know who they need to love them the most in the middle of that moment? You. To be with them the most in the middle of that moment. And I know it's coming. It'll be pandemonium. It'll be it'll be there are consequences. There will consequences will come for whatever it is. There's going to be pandemonium. There's going to be all this craziness. But you know who they need the most in the middle of that? You. When they blow, when your spouse blows it, when your coworker in your relationship, when, they, when that friend, when they blow it, when it is this huge blow up, you know who they need to love them the most? You. In the midst of that, and our relationships need that grace. There's a song that we sing. It's called the never ending, overwhelming, reckless love of God. Parents, let that be your anthem. Never ending, overwhelmed. Let that be your anthem. The right chases me down, fights when I'm found. Come on, somebody. Let that be. Let that be the song you sing. And you can sing the bridge when they slam. Now your teenager slams that door in your house, right? No wall you won't tear down. You know, door you won't, door you won't kick down coming after them. It just <laughs> that. But in their worst moment, you know who they need the most? You. In fact, I want to read a letter. This is a letter from a son to a dad. A father who didn't learn that, that relationships take grace, who blew up all of the time. And his dad finally came in and found this letter on his son's bed in his bedroom on the pillow. 
And it says, Dear Dad, it's with great sorrow and regret that I'm writing you. He says, I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom. I've been finding real passion with Stacy. She's so nice, but I knew you wouldn't approve of her because of her piercings, tattoo, tight clothes, and because she's much older than I am. But it's not only the passion, Dad. She's pregnant. Stacy said that we would be very happy together. She has her own trailer in the woods. The plot is paid for, has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We're sharing the dreams of hopefully having more children. Stacy's opened my eyes to the fact that drugs really don't hurt anyone. And we'll be growing them for ourselves and trading with other people in the area for all the cocaine and ecstasy that we want. So don't worry, Dad. I know I'm only 15, but I know how to take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure, we'll be back to visit so you can get to know your grandchildren. Love, your son, John. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Tommy's house, and I wanted to remind you there are things worse than the report card that's in my desk drawer. (laughs) Somebody say grace. Say grace, everybody. Amazing grace. I had you go in the hallway. Some of you people are like, oh my gosh, I love my children so much more now. I love my kids. I'm going to hug them when I get them from kids. I'm going to hug them close. It takes grace, everybody. It takes grace. All right, I want to say something. Listen to me as we close today. Listen to me. Somebody today, somebody you're thinking about bailing. Somebody you're sitting through, you asked the question on Easter, but you're sitting through the message and still we come to this moment of the service and you're still thinking, I'm going to bail on this. You don't know my parents. You don't know my spouse. You don't know my kids. I, I can't stand it anymore. I'm out. Somebody's thinking about giving up on all of it. Somebody's thinking the grass is greener on the other side. No, no, no. Listen to me, everybody. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. Somebody's got it in their mind. Every relationship, I just want you to know, every relationship needs grace. And you've got to come to grips with the fact that the devil is trying to destroy every relationship that you have. The devil's got his talents in you and he's trying to destroy every relationship that you have. He's trying to bring it down. And somebody said in their mind that this is it. I'm just gonna, and I don't know who it is. I've been praying because I just can't get off of point number five. I just, I can't get past it. And so somebody in your mind, whether you're in the room or watching online, you're thinking, I'm going to bail on this. You don't know my situation, Pastor. You don't know I'm out on this. I just want you to know every relationship needs grace. And let me say it this way. You'll never have to forgive someone more than Jesus forgave you. You never have to forgive someone more than Jesus already forgave you. Because I've been studying this and I just believe. I believe with all my heart that there's somebody who's thinking that. And I just want you to know that here... On April 25th, this morning here at Victory Harvest Church, that God is going to do something powerful. He's going to heal something once and for all. He's going to heal something once. And somebody that has a relationship that's been on the rock, somebody that has something that's broken, somebody that did something wrong to you, somebody that, that left you or backstabbed or did something, said something, something that some relationship somewhere you say, that's it, I, I can't take it, enough's enough. I want you to know that there's grace that is needed for every relationship. And I have a word for you today. It's out of the book of Ecclesiastes as we close. It's a familiar passage. Some of you don't even know it's from the Bible. Some of you just know the song. But it says, a time for everything. Right? Turn, turn. A season for every activity under the heavens. Watch this. A time to born and a time to, be, to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And all of these make sense to us until you get to verse 5. And it says, and a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. We well, say, what in the world does that mean? Well, it goes back to an Old Testament observance out of the book of Genesis that I believe needs to happen in your hearts today. 
I believe needs to happen in all of our hearts today. It comes from a story found in Genesis 31 where Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, had an issue. He had a relational issue with his father-in-law, Laban. And let, let me just say it this way, with right cause. Laban was no friend to Jacob. Laban was no friend, no fan of Jacob and his family. In fact, Laban treated Jacob incredibly badly. He cheated him on his wages. He made him work 20 years to marry his daughters. He, he was ruthless with Jacob. He always sought how he could, he could make his dealings to where Laban would benefit and Jacob would not. And Jacob even allowed his father-in-law, he allowed him to take the best of the herds, the best of the flock. And then he would take all the weak and all the, the not. And God still blessed Jacob. And so Jacob prospered and Laban didn't, which made Laban even more furious. And finally, Jacob decided, I can't take this anymore. I can't deal with this. I'm going to run away. And so he takes his wives and his children and his flocks and all he has. And he runs away in the middle of the night. Well, a few days later, Laban realizes what's happened. And Laban is furious. And so he gets his men together and he pursues Jacob across the desert. He chases him. And so he comes now the night before they're supposed to meet. So Laban is close enough to attack. The night before they're supposed to meet, an angel of the Lord appears to Laban. And he he tells him this statement, don't you do what you had planned in your heart to do. And I pray that that statement is a message from the Lord to somebody today. That it's it's like the angel of the Lord speaking to you. Don't do what you planned in your heart to do. Go and be reconciled. Don't do what you had planned, what you had planned to do. Go and you say, well, you don't know my parents. You don't know him. You don't know her. You don't know my kids. Don't don't do what you had planned and said, go and be reconciled. And so Jacob is bracing for a fight. Jacob's ready, right? He's he's bracing. And Laban appears before him. And here's what Laban says. He says, let these words, and these words need to be the ones that you speak. He says, come now, let's make a covenant, you and I. Laban goes to him and he's decided, but an angel of the Lord speaks to him. Don't do what you decided to do. He says, come now, let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. And so Jacob took a stone and he set it up as a pillar. And watch this. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. Go out and gather some stones. There were two options they had in that culture, what they would do when they gathered a stone. Either you could take a stone and you could throw it at somebody. Or you could take some stones and pile them up as an altar before the Lord. So he says, gather some stones. Every single one of those stones. I like to think each one of those stones represented, hey, you remember when you did this, clunk. You remember when you said this and you really didn't, clunk. And you remember when you thought this and you went and told them about it. They drop another stone and Jacob piles up this altar before the Lord. They make this altar, this heap there. And then they ate together at this place. They ate there by the heap. This was a tradition in their culture that they would seal every promise with a meal, which I kind of like everybody. I enjoy. That's a pretty good. I think that's where the Baptists got it. I don't know. They, They gathered stones together. They ate the meal there and they gathered stones instead of scattering church. You have the option. In your relationship, in your marriage, in your, with your kids, whatever it is, you have the option to scatter your stones all over the place. To scatter stones all over. You can stack them up today as an altar before the Lord. You can put them up as an altar and make... And I'm encouraged, I'm just, I'm encouraging you to give grace. Give grace. If there's anything with a family sermon or a marriage sermon or help me with my kids, you asked for a type of sermon, I just would give you, give grace. Have grace. I encourage you to gather stones. You say, well, what does it look like? Let me give you three steps before we go. Three quick steps on how we can gather stones together. The first one is don't point fingers at everybody else. I got to acknowledge my own mistakes. I'm going to acknowledge my own mistakes. In fact, they're not even going to enter into the equation. I'm going to realize that I have made mistakes. That all of us have a part to play. You ready for this? All of us have a role in what happened. 
All of us play a role in the mistakes that have happened. All of us, and you say, well, no, I don't. Well, then you don't agree with this verse that says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have a sin. All of us have mistakes. All of us are broken. And so I'm going to acknowledge my own mistakes. I'm not even going to bring them into, I'm going to come before the Lord with all of my brokenness and all of my mistakes and all of my things that he's forgiven me for. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew, he said, why do you even look at the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a two by four coming out of your own? Why, why, why are you even worried about the, the sawdust, the little speck in their eye when you've got a plank coming out of your own eye? I'm going to acknowledge my own mistakes. I'm going to come humbly before the throne. I'm going to build my altar. I'm going to gather stones and I'm going to say, I've made mistakes and I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. And then here's the second part. If we're going to gather some stones and that is I need to abandon my right to get even. One of the hardest messages you will ever hear in the church. Hardest things that I ever have to preach is that we as Christians, we abandon our right for revenge. We abandoned our right when we became Christians. Because if you're like me, you read that verse in Ecclesiastes and you say, well, it says there's a time to gather stones and there's a time to scatter them. And so it better be my time to scatter because I want to scatter some stones. I got some people on my list. That I want, like I'll gather them, but I also want to sue them. And I also want somebody to tell me that I was right. And I want somebody to tell me that I, I have the right to do this and I have the right to treat them because they did this. I want somebody to tell me that. Listen to me, church, as New Testament Christians, we have abandoned our right to get even. Christians don't take revenge. Christians forgive. And you say, well, that's just too radical for me. That's just going, well, it's the Jesus way with nails in our hands and blood coming out of our face. We say, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. It's what we're called to as Christians. We're called to forgive. And I promise you, it's one of the hardest things you will ever hear preached. One of the hardest things I ever preached to myself that we abandon our right to get even. And I know it's radical, but it's the biblical way. And honestly, the other way is not working too well, is it? It's not working all that great. So what do we do? We do what Romans says, where it says, don't take revenge. And watch this. As Christians, watch this promise he makes, but leave room for God's wrath. You say, well, it's too hard for me to understand. I, I, want, I want to do... No, no, it's saying God has the right to scatter stones and he can handle it a whole lot better than any of you can. I promise you that. But what are we called to do as Christians? We're called to forgive. So God says, I'll take care of it. I'll avenge. I have my own plan for what happens. But thank God he doesn't treat us as we want to treat other people. Thank God he didn't treat us in our sins. It says he removed our sins from us, that he forgives us, that he doesn't give us what we deserve. So we got to abandon our right to get even. Here's the last one, and then we're going to pray for you. And that is apply God's grace. Give grace. Give grace. If we're going to gather stones, we've got to give grace. If we're going to have healing in our relationships, we're going to have to give grace. If we're going to repair the relationship with our kids, we're going to have to give grace. If we're going to lead our families in a godly, biblical way, we're going to have to give grace. In every moment, in every relationship, in every place, we want the Bible to actually speak to our lives. We're going to have to give grace. Gather some stones, church. Bow your heads with me as we close today. God, I pray right here in this moment that there is an opportunity to gather stones. Right here in this moment as a church, as we begin to think of those relationships, the reasons that we ask these questions, we begin to think of that person, the reason that we wrote that question down, we begin to think of that, that child, the reason that we wanted this, this advice from your word, God. 
this truth from the Bible, the reason we begin to think of that relationship right now, Lord, and we have an opportunity to gather stones, to build an altar before you. God, I pray that you give us the strength to do it. Give us the wisdom to do it. Lord, let us see it with a new light. Let us see our relationships with a new perspective. Let us see them in light of the grace we've received from you. And let us apply that grace to others. Now listen to me, church. The Bible talks about Now if you don't love other people, then you don't love God. What it's saying is that if you haven't been able to give grace to others, then you haven't received grace from God in the first place. You haven't experienced the love and relationship of the Father. And if you want to be able to sow grace, you're thinking right now, well, I just, it's not possible for me. You want to be able to sow grace. All of that, it goes back to point number one we made today. And that is you need to have a relationship with Jesus first. You want to sow grace in every relationship in your life. You need to have one with him before all of that. You need to have authentic faith with him. And so nobody looking around, but you may have walked in today under the weight of your own sin. You may have never experienced forgiveness in your own life. That you walk around with that weight on you. That maybe nobody else in your life knows about that sin. Nobody else in your life knows about that guilt and that weight that you carry, but it's there. And you came in today with it. I want you to know you can be free this morning. That there is amazing grace available to you. That you can experience forgiveness. That God said he's waiting to forgive you of your sins. You can have that happen in your life today. And some of you, you made that decision a while ago, but you've walked away from God. If you were, if you were really honest today, he's not calling the shots in your life. You're calling the shots. If I could just tell you two words today, nobody else is looking around, but if I could give you two words today, it would be come home. Come home. You've gone too far. You've wandered too long. Come home. God is waiting for you. He wants to rescue you. He's not looking to judge you. He's not looking to punish you. He wants to set you free. Jesus died on the cross and then he rose again so that you could have a relationship with the Father. So you could be washed clean of your sins. That you could be reconciled. Come home. So I want to pray today if that's you. You say, I want to pray that prayer. I want to be free. I want to be forgiven. I want to make that decision. I want to experience grace. If that's you today, I just want to pray with you. And this is a decision between you and the master. This is you surrendering control of your life. I can give you the words, but you have to say them and you have to mean them in your heart. But pray this prayer. Come on, church. Say this out loud with them. No one prays alone. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. I repent. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. Now, God, I thank you for every person that prayed that prayer. God, I thank you that you have washed them clean, Lord, that you have made a place for them in heaven. Lord, I pray a blessing over them. I thank you, God, for that decision that they have made to follow Jesus. And now as we end today, church, I just want to pray a blessing over you. Blessing over every marriage, every family, every child, every parent, a message, just a blessing over every relationship. Lord, right now, I just pray, bless their families, God. 
Bless their marriages, God. Bless their spouses, Lord. Bless their homes. Bless their relationships. Lord, bless their lives. Bless every moment that they go. God, I pray for children today. I pray for kids in the home, Lord. Blessings over them. I pray for kids who have run far from home, God. I pray a blessing over them. Bring them back, God. I pray for prodigals right now, Jesus. Lord, I pray for parents and grandparents who are praying over their children and their grandchildren. I pray for marriages, God. I pray for husbands who are praying for their wives. I pray for wives who are praying for their husbands, God. I just pray a blessing. Let peace come into their homes, God. If salvation is needed, let salvation come, God. Let your presence rest in every relationship. Let your presence be in every room of their house. God, that they're not the best parent in the world or they're not the best spouse in the world, but they are who you have chosen for that spot and that relationship and that purpose. They are who you have chosen to parent those kids. They are who you have chosen to speak life into that home. God, that they are who you have chosen. That we are not perfect, God, but you have chosen us to bring your kingdom and to bring your gospel. And so I pray a blessing and a strength in that moment. I pray a blessing and a strength to do what you have called them to do. That you've equipped them to do what you have called them to do. That they are who you have called to raise those children. They are who you have called to speak life to that spouse. We thank you for the strength you give us. We thank you for direction from the Holy Spirit. We thank you. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen. And amen. Come on, church. Put your hands together for what God has done today. Church, you're dismissed. Be blessed as you go. Remember, we're doing baptisms in the four. If you gave your life to Jesus today or you want to make that declaration, encourage you. We would love to baptize you right now in the four. Come on, church. Let's go out singing and praising. Come on, let's go and worship God together as we celebrate with us.